Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 147 with Sarah Howman. I always thought that I was kind of dull and not creative. And I just do simple things like repetition. I just, you know, copy people, but not in like a bad way. But in, you know, like I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just making food taste good and like look decent on a plate. But once I was around a group of other chefs and, you know, you get this challenge and you're cooking and I'm looking around and I'm realizing what I'm doing is so far out of left field than what everyone else is doing. You know, I took big risks and made stuff I've literally never (laughs) made before on TV, even though you go on and you're like, don't do that, Sarah, don't do that. Don't do things you haven't done before. But it's just like, I can only be myself going back to why they really wanted me on reality TV. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category, as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. What is up, everyone? My podcast guest this week is Chef Sarah Howman. You might know her as the yogurt queen from season 18 of Top Chef, or from her highly entertaining cooking videos on Instagram, where she's making some very delicious looking food. So after high school, Sarah moved to the south of Spain. Upon returning to the U.S., she decided to go to culinary school, which she doesn't recommend, by the way, and we definitely get into that on the show. She spent the next few years working in restaurants, including Brandon Jew's Bar Agricole, and with some experience under her belt, she decided to return to Spain to work at the famed Asador Extabari. So we start the conversation off just kind of getting a feeling about where she got this love of food, moving to Spain with her dad after high school, and then coming back to the U.S., uh, going to culinary school, and then her early restaurant days. We definitely dig into the culinary school thing. You know, that's something we've talked a lot about on the show. And she falls on the camp of do not go to culinary school. So we do touch on that a little bit in our conversation. Sarah talks about going to Spain and the whole process of how she ended up over there, how she ended up where she ultimately was working. And, you know, some of the fun stories like the time she got in a little kerfuffle with one of the chefs there. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about Top Chef. Sarah was on last season's Top Chef. I think she won the first episode and ultimately was in the top eight. And part of our conversation around Top Chef was, you know, I think Sarah identifies as an introvert, uh, maybe had some self-confidence issues, especially as the show started. And just, you know, it's a challenging, weird environment. I think anyone would struggle a little bit. But it was really great as a viewer to kind of see her grow and evolve and get more confidence as the show went on. And now, you know, if you've watched her Instagram videos, I think they're really great. She seems confident and really comfortable in front of the camera and I think is, you know, a real joy to watch doing cooking videos. You know, she really opened up on this episode and talks about some personal things, things that I don't think everyone would even be comfortable talking about. So I really appreciate her coming on the show and kind of getting into some of the messy stuff. You know, it's not all, um, you know, over the years she's amassed a number of accolades and we didn't even really get into that on the show. And what has Sarah got going on now? Well, she has started a company called Tiny Fish Co., where she is producing tinned sea treats from the Pacific Northwest. 
You should go check it out on Instagram at the Tiny Fish Co. She's always had a love for tinned fish. I think that's something we even saw a little bit of on Top Chef. So we talked about how she ended up starting her own company. So if you've always wanted to try recipes using tinned fish, she will definitely give you some tips for how to use it. But I think one of the best things to do is to check out her website and buy some of the amazing types that she's producing. And I did ask her what it means to be a chef. Like I've been asking many of our guests this season. I did excise that out of this episode and we'll be releasing it separately. So if you enjoy this conversation, please check that out. That will be dropping soon. And if you're not currently getting the Chefs Without Restaurants newsletter, the link is in our bio or go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org. You can sign up for it. I will not send you more than one email a week. It will be filled with some of my favorite recipes, gear recommendations, a reminder about this week's podcast. At some point, the algorithms are going to throttle me back and you're not going to see my stuff. But if you're on the email list, you will know what is up. So check that out. I'd really appreciate it. And the episode will be coming right up afterward from this week's sponsor. Over the past 27 years, the world of the personal chef has grown in importance to fulfill the dining needs of consumers. While the pandemic certainly upended the restaurant experience, it provided an avenue for personal chefs to close that dining gap. Central to all of that is the United States Personal Chef Association. Representing nearly a thousand chefs around the U.S. and Canada, and even Italy, USPCA provides a strategic backbone for those chefs that includes liability insurance, training, communications, certification, and more. It's a reassurance to consumers that the chef coming into their home is prepared to offer them an experience along with their meal. One of the big upcoming events for the USPCA is their annual conference scheduled for July 7th through 10th at the Hyatt Regency in Sarasota, Florida. Featuring a host of speakers and classes, the conference allows chefs to hone their skills and network with like-minded business people, and is open to all chefs in the industry. For those who supply the industry, it's a chance to reach decision makers and the actual buyers of products. This will be the first time back following the COVID lockdowns, and the chefs are anxious to connect. And right now, Chefs Without Restaurants listeners can use promo code CWR50 to save $50 on registration. Please contact Angela at APRA. T-H-E-R at USPCA.com for information on becoming a member, attending the conference, or exhibiting. And as always, all this info will be in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. So to kick off the show, I like to get a little background on you. Uh, let's talk about food and growing up. Like, did you always love food? Was, you know, was it something that was important to you and your family? So I, I always, always, always loved food. And I think I ended up getting into food because one, it's a love hate relationship with me. And two, I just like growing up, I didn't necessarily have a lot of money, but it wasn't, it wasn't a situation where it like occurred to me, you know, as a kid, I just was a little bit like living in my own little land my family would go, we would never really go on vacation per se. Uh, vacation would be like a road trip to Illinois to visit my grandparents, which Same. we all know. Yeah, it's like, that's a great vacation. But at a certain point, my parents are yelling at each other. They're yelling at me. Yeah, I get car sick. <laughs> yeah, we had a camper and my dad would just like drag the camper to my cousin's house on Cape Cod and leave it there for a couple of weeks. And like he and my uncle would like put a new roof on the house and me and my mom would hang out with my cousins. But like, that was it. Right. Besides, like, we went to Disney World when I was in fifth grade. Other than that, we, yeah. we never had a vacation in my whole life, which made me want to travel extensively when yes. I started to get money and be off on my own. Yeah, we we didn't necessarily go anywhere cool. But living in San Diego, it's like we would go to Tijuana for a day, you know, and or we would go like Disneyland, which is in L.A., would be like our family vacation. Um, but you know, it could have been a lot worse. But at the end of the day, we would, uh, they were really good about taking us out to dinner as a family, probably like once a month. And my mom, not really the greatest cook. My dad was like, fine. He was, uh, he was in, he was a little bit older. So he was in the Vietnam War in the Marines. And he actually was a cook in the military. But 
that's a different style <laughs> completely. So we would go out to eat, but we would never go to Applebee's or the chain restaurants. We would go sushi or Indian food. And so that I think for me was like the coolest part of growing up. And that's where, I don't know, I think I, I traveled through the food that we were eating. Um, and I was always the one I wanted like the most, the craziest thing on the menu, whatever the craziest thing was, I wanted to eat that. I was always that, that kid. <laughs> were your parents supportive of that? Were they all about letting you buy that weird thing that maybe they weren't sure you were going to eat? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would never not eat it. I pretty much always tried everything very adventurous, but also so quiet, like deathly quiet. I never talked. So I think whenever I found something that I was excited about, you always know when I'm excited about something, I can't, I can't hide it. Uh, They would definitely try to at least encourage me to like get into it. (laughs) Yeah. Last week, my son who's nine insisted that we get eel when we went out for sushi and he had had it before and it's, but it's been a couple of times and I don't know why, but he just said, I want the eel. I'm like, okay. I mean, you ate it last time. We'll get it. But (laughs) my wife's like, are you sure you're going to eat it? And it's like, you know, not a big deal. You're getting like one roll, right? Like if he doesn't eat it, I'll eat it. But he was insistent on that this time. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up for me, food was, food was always there. Food was always around me, not necessarily the best food in the world, but I just, I really did uh, get excited when we would go out to dinner. That was the best thing for me. And I think because it was like traveling to a different culture, that that's the coolest part about food still for me. I didn't live in an area that really had a lot of, I guess what you'd call ethnic food at the time, but we went out to eat a lot. My dad was not adventurous at all, but my mom was, my dad worked uh, Sears, so retail. So like three nights a week he had to work. So that's when my mom and I would go out and have like, something special. So like we'd maybe go out to a Thai restaurant or something. Yeah. And then when my dad was home was more like steak, baked potato, salad type stuff. Yeah. I guess growing up kind of like in Southern California on the West Coast, definitely a little bit luckier there if I would have grown up kind of in the middle of nowhere, suburbia, chain restaurants, chain malls, all that good stuff. <laughs> Probably not the greatest. <laughs> so did you work in food service like as a teenager, did you get any kind of restaurant experience then? Or when did you start working in food? I worked in retail when I was a teenager. Um, I, okay, so <laughs> crazy story. <laughs> My life's a little bit strange. We all love crazy our, stories. Our I don't, I don't want boring stories. <laughs> no boring stories on this show. So bring it. Uh, so growing up, uh, everything was great, kind of like until it wasn't. I have an older brother. He had a lot of drug issues. Uh, so that were six years apart. So when that was taking place, I was kind of like nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, the good years, the years when things start changing. And so it kind of contributed to me just shutting my mouth and putting my head down and doing my work because there was already like the messed up person in the family. Uh, but that also takes a really big toll on, you know, parents. So my parents split up when I started high school and a couple years after that, my, it was when the chat rooms were like the cool dating spot. Like AOL <laughs> chat rooms. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my dad started going on those chat rooms and connected with a woman, a British woman who lived in the South of Spain. So he, you know, in love, whatever was like, going to sell all this shit and move to Spain after I graduated high school and retire because he's a little bit older. And I was like, well, I'm tired. (laughs) I worked really hard in high school. I am definitely like type A perfectionist. So I did sports. I did everything that I thought that I had to do to like please everyone in my life and got straight A's, but I was exhausted at the end of that. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go to Spain with my dad and it's going to be great. So I would, I actually spent the first year of after high school in Spain, despite, you know, getting accepted into like colleges and stuff, which is a little crazy for some people to comprehend, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, And then I 
I came back because again, my brother was like going through some hard times and was like living out of his car. And I just was like, okay, I need to take care of people. Cause that's what I do. I just take care of people. Uh, so I basically finagled uh, my mom was getting married. So I finagled her and her husband. They had like a small apartment that they owned. And I said, well, what if we pay rent on it? So my brother could have a place to live and that worked out. So I came back to the U S but I also knew that I needed to go to school to please my mother. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll just go to cooking school because it was always it wasn't necessarily like this huge passion that I had, but I just always loved food. I would do school projects about food. I loved eating food. It was a very special moment for me whenever I got to eat something. I don't know. <laughs> like I just celebrated. But no experience. Like you didn't grow up in, in high school saying, I want to be a chef. I want to nope. work in food. Just something Absolutely that was you're passionate not. about. Absolutely not. I really love science. I thought science was really cool. Um, and I think food and cooking is a bit scientific. So I went to culinary school, but me being me, I didn't just like go to culinary school because I understand how much money it was going to cost. I got a job in a restaurant within the first month I started culinary school. So I was actually working in a restaurant by day and then driving about 45 minutes south to go to school. And pretty much I was up and awake from five, six in the morning from work and then school. And I would do online classes for all the things I didn't have to be in school for. So I graduated before I was 21. But again, I just, I was completely exhausted. <laughs> it's, That's a lot. It's, pretty much, it's all or nothing with me, really. That's <laughs> what I'm, I'm realizing as I'm getting older. It's like, I'm either at 0% or 500%. There's no in between. <laughs> so looking back on it, uh, was culinary school worth it to you or, I mean, I guess that's where I can finish that. Was culinary yeah. school worth it? Would you do it again? No, <laughs> definitely not. I don't think that culinary school is, I think, I think it's a joke <laughs> really. Uh, you, you learn on the job and sure, you know, maybe in my first year, two years, uh, working in a restaurant, it definitely helped me understand terminology and maybe practicing knife cuts. But at the end of the day, you know, again, I graduated before I was 21, but it did nothing for me except for put me, like you said, in crippling debt. And now I have to work super, super hard and I have to weigh my options. Do I want to take this job because I make less money, but I learn more? Or do I want to take the promotion because I'm getting paid more and I'm going to stay at this job that maybe I'm not learning that much at. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm still in debt. I, I'm not from culinary school. I'm not going to be done paying my loans on 47. And that is, that's shitty because ultimately how many, I'm sure, you know, how many people that you went to culinary school with are not in the food industry anymore. Within like a year so and many. a half. Yeah. So many of them, I went to Johnson and Wales. I got a four year bachelor's and you know, I, I've said on this show before, it will be burned in my memory. I had to pay $404 a month for 10 years. And I had to defer that a number of times because of like, I moved and then, you know, startup costs of moving to a new city. It's like, I couldn't pay for six months. So then it just kept stretching out and out. But you know, I wanted to go work at places I had interviewed at like Charlie Trotters. And and I don't think that would have been a great place for me knowing who I am now. But like, it was basically like a stage like, no, you have to come and work for six months for free and find a place to live. It's like, how the fuck am I going to do that? Like no money and I'm paying back student loans. Like that's insane. It's like, no, I'll go yeah. cook at this retirement community. You know, it was yeah, it, it for me, I think uh, after a certain amount of time, I just felt really stuck. Um, you know, I, I love food and I love what I do. But you know, I just feel like I have no other option. I can't go back to school. I can't take out more loans. I did the same thing. I did a four-year bachelor degree in culinary management. That doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sure, I did it. It cost $80,000, you know, and that's so much money. And most of my loans were private loans through because it's a trade school, basically. And so it's not even like, federally, yeah, a federal can't do anything. <laughs> you know, I'm stuck with these loans and it sucks. And I 
have made, like I said, a lot of decisions based on money and not based on happiness because I had to, you know, I went back to community college for a little bit to defer my loans because I was, you know, I had to take so many credits to defer, but that's exhausting, you know, too. It's, I don't know. It's just, I don't believe that culinary school should exist. I think that, you know, I, was lucky enough later in life to be able to go work in Spain for free, basically. But you're going to spend less money and have more fun if you just, you know, take out a loan, take out a personal loan, go to Europe, work around at a couple places. I know a number of people who did that. They just reached out to chefs via the internet and said, I want to come work at your place. And they just packed a couple bags and headed on over there. And when you think about paying twenty to $50,000 a year for school versus like how expensive is it to live off your savings, you know, to live in Spain. So yeah. you, you worked at one of the best restaurants in the world in Spain. I did. So how did you, <laughs> can you talk about where you were working and how you ended up getting that job? After finishing culinary school and having a few jobs in the San Diego area, I was getting a little antsy and like sad that you know, I'm living in the same place that I grew up in, in the same city. And I just never wanted to be that person who never left the city they grew up in. So I had a childhood friend who lived in San Francisco and I just impulsively was like, I'm going to come visit you. And I went up to SF and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, having never been to really a big city other than LA, but that's just for school field trips or whatever. Um, Being in a city like that, like a condensed city where you don't need a car and you just, you take public transport. Coolest thing ever. That was probably when I was like 22, I think. And pretty much six, six months, I think after that, I decided I was going to just move up there. So that's what I did. (laughs) Throw caution into the wind and go and go on a new adventure. I, I did. Uh, so I moved up to San Francisco and I I actually staged at some like pretty fancy places. Um, kind of like you, I, I got an in at the French Laundry and I did a stage there, not for like six months, just a couple of days. And I did a tasting and everything. And I pretty much on my first day, <laughs> on my first day when they were yelling, whatever it was, clean up or whatever. And everyone stops what they're doing and starts sweeping. I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> this is way too, too crazy that I can't do this. Uh, but I went through the process and it was cool and whatever, but I definitely knew that that level of fine dining was probably never going to be in my future. And then I had found Brandon Jew, who is uh, was a friend of a friend, and he was just opening Bar Agricole, which is now closed. But that was super exciting because he was telling me about butchering whole animals and that whole thing, kind of more like the Chez Panisse approach to food, very simple, rustic style. That was got, what got me really excited. So I took the job with him. And I was there for probably close to three years and moved my way up to sous chef and everything. But I had some life stuff happen. And I was like, you know what, I've always wanted to go to Europe and work and I didn't really know how to go about it. So I googled the 50 best restaurant San Pellegrino list. And I literally just started emailing every single restaurant and saying that I was interested in coming for a stage. And the ones that got back to me, I was always asking if they would um, house their stages. That was my main thing is I could, I knew I couldn't pay for it. So I was trying to figure out which place would house me and feed me and also let me work for free. (laughs) That's how I ended up working in Minneapolis for a while. Uh, It's not Spain, but same thing. I I needed to do an internship or externship for culinary school and I didn't have a car and I didn't have money and I would be working for free. So I just started sending out like, all you have to have is on-site housing and feed me and I'll come work for you for free. So I ended up in Minneapolis. It's, it's not Spain by any stretch, but. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well, because I had been to Spain previously, uh, Asadora Chivari was literally like top of my list. That's the restaurant that I wanted to go to. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Of course I watched the 
Anthony Bourdain feature on it, which made it even cooler. And they were luckily the first restaurant to email me back and say, absolutely, you should come. And so I was thinking, okay, it's going to be this three month thing. Great. And um, Victor, the owner, and Jeff was the one emailing. So it was just really funny and unbroken English. But he said, no, 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 no. You're going to come here for six months. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I guess I'm not going to argue. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I worked really, really hard before that. I think I like called AT&T because I paid, you know, I paid my phone bill like three months in advance just to make sure. And I tried to save as much money as possible, but I just got credit cards and, and went and did it. (laughs) What positions were you working there? Like what type of work were you doing? So I was basically on the pantry station on the cold station when I first started there. And then I got into a bit of a kerfuffle. (laughs) With uh, the gentleman who was running that pantry station, it was a multicultural kitchen and he was Japanese and he basically talked to me at one day like I was a piece of garbage and I was like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) you do not talk to me like that. So I was very upset And the pastry chef who was Basque and was a good friend of mine and who had worked there for over a decade basically like grabbed me and was like, I asked Victor, you're going to work with me now. (laughs) I was like, okay. So I started working in the pastry department, which was great because I do have a little bit of pastry experience just being around. And I worked with him on desserts. I worked with him on developing like the whole chocolate after chocolate program, Minyard East, et cetera. And I was able to, because I worked with him, go into the brasa and start grilling strawberries. <laughs> but regardless, I got to touch the grill. <laughs> very cool. I mean, there's very yes. few people who've gotten to go do that. So yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like a hierarchy thing. It's like when Victor deems you ready, you can go into the brasa and then help plate, but there's no talking in the brasa. You have to basically look at Victor and anticipate what's coming next. And you got to pull the plates from the plate warmer, but at the right time, and there's certain things that only he can touch. And there's certain things that only other people can touch. But I think, you know, not speaking Basque and being who I am (laughs) with not, not talking or communicating with words a lot of times, I actually could read his face and could read his body a lot more than most people. So for me, I caught on super quick and was able to start basically helping through service on the savory side. And then I'd switch over and do desserts once that started happening. So I basically got to do like everything because I... (laughs) Because I got mad. <laughs> that sounds like a great experience. You know, everyone jokes about staging, like the dude who swept the floors at Noma, who puts it on their resume that they staged, but they didn't really work. But it sounds like you had quite an experience and picked up a lot of skills and did some really great stuff there. I definitely worked, um, which was nice because I also had heard those things where, you know, you're going to stage and you're just going to go pick herbs. And, you know, we didn't wear chef coats. You could if you wanted to. I wore a sweatshirt and a t-shirt when I was there and we had not matching shitty aprons. I wouldn't expect that from a place of that caliber. So on my like, I don't know, it was my first week and uh, Victor's wife basically like hands me the phone and I'm like, why is she handing me the phone right now? And basically, since I spoke English, they just would always hand me the phone when someone was speaking English for an English reservation. So on top of all of the other shit I was doing, I was taking reservations in English. And the way they take reservations is in a really big book written down. No computer (laughs) POS system. No, no computer, no nothing like that. So I would be talking to people on the phone and they'd be like, how do we get there? (laughs) I have to give them directions. 
uh, one day after work, I thought I was in trouble because someone's like, Victor wants to see you in the office. I was like, okay, okay. So I go up and he sits me down in front of his computer and basically says, I need you to write a bio for me. And I'm going to tell you in Spanish and I want you to write it in English. And I said, okay. So I'm sitting there with Victor and he's dictating stuff to me and I'm writing it down in English. And he's like watching what I'm writing and says, no, 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 no. I don't want to say it like that. I want to say it like this. I'm like, you understand. You just don't want to be typing right now by your secretary. What's happening? A little bit of everything then. Yeah. A little bit of everything. It sure was. You could write his, uh, biography at some point right or the intro to a cookbook i think he well he already came out with a cookbook yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely didn't make it in <laughs> so i guess we'll jump forward a little bit you were you on a show top chef was that like I something was. that happened this past that, year <laughs> that was something that happened <laughs> uh yeah. yeah how i mean how did that happen did you actively pursue going on the show like were you submitting to be on or did they reach out to you because I know it could go either way so I being the introverted quiet person that I generally am unless I blow up at you because I bottled everything in for too long um I didn't do any of that you know I would get stuff from food network here and there about like do you want to do this program guys they grocery like, games yeah right like they would hit me up on facebook and you know it's just casting people reaching out and i i just never even thought about it quite honestly and i i never thought i would be one good enough to like do that sort of stuff too and then i got i got a cold cold call basically from a casting person uh about top chef and this was when i was still living in san francisco and I thought, like, okay, I'll, like, go, I don't want to close the door to an opportunity, so I'll, I'll feel it out. So I actually went through the, the whole casting process, and I bowed out at the last minute, basically at the final casting step where you have to go and meet the producers. And at that point, you're really, I mean, there's only a handful of people that won't be chosen at that point. <laughs> So when I bowed out, the casting people that I had worked with were very upset with me. <laughs> they were like, Sarah, just fly to LA and do this interview. We can't tell you that you're for sure going to get a but Like, just do it. And I didn't. I didn't at all. I ignored was all their phone calls. Was it nerves? Like, why, why did you go that far and then decide not to do it? I was in between jobs. And I had just finished my first head chef job. And despite getting a little bit of acknowledgement here and there, I had never been in that position before. And it was really hard uh, for me personally, because I just, I'm so hard on myself and I never realized how hard I was on myself until I was the one in charge. And then I definitely, you know, take that thing where, well, when it comes down to it, it's always my fault. I very much took that literally and yeah I got nominated for a James Beard award and for like I it just didn't mean anything to me because I was so focused on all of the things that I thought I was doing wrong and I didn't really take those awards and acknowledgments as positives I took them as I don't deserve this like they're only giving this to me because I'm under 30. They're, you know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome on this show, you know, because I have so many guests who they're not, you know, they even say that I don't consider myself a real chef. And that's because people have told them they're not a real chef for whatever reasons. You know, I think it's hard on so many of us to think that like we're deserving of the attention or the accolades or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what it was. I just didn't think I deserved it. So I was coming off of that and I didn't, the, the thing was the restaurant wasn't doing well. And I think that's a huge part of it. The restaurant wasn't doing well. It was a small restaurant and I thought that it was my fault. And the owner of the restaurant didn't not make me think it was my fault. And, uh, I knew that he was going to replace me and, 
I got very upset because I was like, you you, you have to tell me, <laughs> you know, it was the whole thing, but I was in between jobs and that was when the whole Top Chef thing happened. And then uh, towards that end of the process, uh, Melissa Perello at Octavia in San Francisco had asked if I would help her out. She was going to get married and she was like, I'd like you to run Octavia, which was also super scary because it had a Michelin star. And I was like, I feel like shit, you know, like, I feel like I'm the reason this restaurant is failing. And I know I'm like getting these awards, but I feel like I'm the, the person. I mean, I guess it also tells, you know, normal people just because you're getting awards doesn't mean your restaurant's successful. So I, again, I was like, do I want to go on TV or should I take this job? And the money, because I you need have money. a student you loan, have to work, right? yeah. I have to work. I've never not had to work. I don't have that luxury. I decided to take the job at Octavia instead. And I just thought like, I burned that bridge, that TV bridge, but whatever. It's okay. <laughs> What's the time commitment for Top Chef? How long are you away for? And is it, I mean, I don't know, is it the same this past year during COVID versus other times? COVID was longer. Usually I think it's a six week commitment, but ours was like eight weeks, two months. It's a long time to be away. It's a long time to be away and living in San Francisco and thinking like, I still have to pay rent on my apartment, but I don't have a job. And I'm going to like, I'm going to take this risk to go on TV and probably humiliate myself and do terribly, (laughs) you know, come out with zero money, feeling terrible about myself, no job. It just didn't seem like the right time. Um, So I... Like I said, I ignored all those phone calls. It was like, cool. Uh, so this is never happening in my life. That's okay. Uh, it just wasn't ever anything I wanted to do either. I watched maybe the first couple of seasons and I never strove to like be on TV. It wasn't a thing. And then the next year during the casting season, I had actually moved up to Portland that year. Literally the day after I moved, I got a phone call from LA. I'm like, who's this? I answer it and it's the casting people asking if I want to go through the process again. And I was like, well, I kind of just moved. (laughs) I can't, I have a job. Like, I can't do it. Wrong timing. Again, I was like, well, they must have really wanted you. I mean, geez. Yeah, that ship definitely sailed. Um, And then the following year, I was like, you know what? Moving to Portland was great, but I think what I realized, shocker, restaurants are the same everywhere. (laughs) I moved out of SF because I was getting burnt out on restaurants, and then I moved up to Portland to work in a restaurant, and it was the same, and I felt the same. You know, I wanted to have a life. I didn't have a life. I wanted to make more money. I wasn't making more money. It was the whole nine yards. I was still struggling. So I reached out to the casting people this time around. And Remember I said, me? Here I am. Yeah. I was like, hi, hello. I'm ready now. I'm ready. I feel more confident. I'm ready. And they they were like, thank you. We're going, casting is a little different this year. And I was like, God damn it. I really fucked this one up. Like, I definitely, they're never calling me again. But casting was different because it was one of the all-star seasons. So they were bringing old cast members back, which I didn't know because I don't watch the show regularly. So that was the moment where I was like, well, this is definitely never going to happen. And the following year (laughs) was 2020. And it was actually the end of March in 2020. And I had was now working at this winery. I had just started there six months prior as their chef and not a restaurant, very chill. I was working, you know, I'd get to work at seven, leave at four. (laughs) It was awesome. I was living this normal life, but I was kind of (laughs) bored. And all my friends still kind of worked in restaurants. And just because I had this normal schedule, I I wasn't doing anything with it. Uh, I was just going to bed earlier. And I felt kind of guilty almost when the pandemic hit that I didn't work in a restaurant. And I had just kind of made this move to work at a winery that was, you know, sure, they were struggling, but 
people were drinking a lot of wine during the pandemic. They didn't necessarily struggle. There's still money in the bank. I wasn't going to get laid off. Like my job was very easy. And I really felt this desire to do something to help, you know, I had friends who owned restaurants that were just struggling. And so I hooked up with Chef Speed, I think, which is now Taste Made and did like a very strange for me, <laughs> but I did a, a cooking class. Uh, live stream cooking class and I raised money for it. What were you making? What what kind of class? I made gnocchi. <laughs> uh, and I got, it was probably like close to a hundred people in my class, which was crazy. And I was so nervous, but I just did it. And afterwards I had this like crazy adrenaline rush and I couldn't slow down. And it was so fun. And of course, in the grand timing of my life, I looked down at my phone expecting a text message from friends or a boss <laughs> watched it and was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? But instead, it was a text from the casting people. <laughs> and I was like, wait, this is so weird. What's happening? And in all the adrenaline, they were like, do you want to go through the casting process? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. I do want to go through the casting process. So I did it again. And then I, then I actually went on the show finally. It worked out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did your confidence grow during the show? Because I feel like as a viewer, I saw that. Like, it seemed like you came in very quiet, reserved, and you've already talked about being a little bit that way. And I think like yeah. once you started to see some success, like, oh, I'm actually doing, pre- did you win the first episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it just it just seemed like you started to kind of snowball, like you found your rhythm and were like, oh, I'm actually like really good at doing this. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, you know, regardless of awards and whatever, I just I never really held much credit with those, you know, just, again, just because I I'm nominated for James Beard doesn't mean the restaurant I'm working at is successful or bringing in money. And that's, that's more of the thing that I look at because that's something I look at every single day. So people weren't coming in the restaurant and I was getting these awards and that's great, but like, it just doesn't mean anything if, if you're not working in a successful place, I guess there's a bigger picture and a bigger story. So I have always just been incredibly hard on myself. Like, incredibly hard and I'm dealing with it now (laughs) now that I understand it's an issue that maybe not everyone deals with on the level I deal with it so I definitely feel like my confidence grew I I didn't think I could I knew I just knew I was like I'm gonna be the first one off and I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna feel super shitty and I'm gonna just delete all my social media and pretend like it didn't happen and go about my stupid little life and be happy and content with being averagely average. (laughs) I was just like, this is, I had it all planned out. (laughs) And there has to be a balance somewhere because there's ego. I mean, I've definitely not just on top chef, but seen like those chefs who like come in and they're like, I'm going to win this whole thing. I've worked at eight, three Michelin star restaurants and whatever. It's like, nobody wants to be that guy either. I mean, like bravo on your confidence, but like they're, there's a fine line there, like walking that balance between confidence and arrogance. Absolutely. I think I I always just, when I exhibit any sort of confidence, I basically think that it's almost a bad luck charm. <laughs> like if I, if I go in with the mindset that I'm going to kill it, then I'm very much not going to kill it because it's karma and I shouldn't be this confident and I shouldn't be a narcissistic asshole. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a constant battle <laughs> fighting in my head with think positively, be confident, you know, speak things into the universe. And then my other part being like, don't be, you know, don't be stupid. <laughs> That's not how that works. And it's not a natural, like being on the show, I mean, I haven't been on it, but it's not like a natural environment. You know, it's like, it's like weird, right? I'm sure you can say, you know, it's not like reality of working in a kitchen, but just like the whole competitiveness. Like I love working with people, but I don't always love working in groups, if that makes sense. Like I was the one who always hated like group projects in school. And there was always someone who wanted to like be in charge. I'm just like, tell me what to do. I want to be worker B as much as, you know, I have my own businesses now and stuff. (laughs) And I have my vision. I'm always just like, 
path of least resistance. Like this person clearly wants to like tell us what we're making. Just let's make that. And I'm okay. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the biggest takeaway that I got was I always thought that I was kind of dull and not creative and same. Like I just do simple things like repetition. I just, you know, copy people, but not in like a bad way, but in, you know, like I'm, I don't not reinventing the wheel. I'm just making food taste good and like look decent on a plate. But once I was around a group of other chefs and, you know, you get this challenge and you're cooking and I'm looking around and I'm realizing what I'm doing is like so far out of left field than what everyone else is doing. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking like I've made a terrible mistake. But at a certain point, you you can't turn back because you have a timer on you and you have limited ingredients because it's what you thought of and what you purchased at the grocery store. So you kind of are forced to go with it almost. And because I was forced to just complete my thoughts and then I would do well, it was this like almost mind-blowing moment for me to be like, oh, holy shit, I just... I've never completed anything. I've not completed my thought ever. I've just been thinking, like, you know, playing it safe because I thought that's all I was capable of. And I'm capable of so much more. <laughs> I just had no idea. You know, it just, it forced me basically to be so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, if I'm going to suck, I got to just keep going. And then I would go and be like, oh, it's so creative or whatever. And I'm sitting here like, oh, I you know, I took big risks and made stuff I've literally never <laughs> made before on TV, even though you go on and you're like, don't do that, Sarah, don't do that. Don't do things you haven't done before. But it's just like, I just, I can only be myself going back to why they really wanted me on reality TV. Now I'm realizing that. <laughs> you know, you just have to, I guess, commit to it sometimes, right? Like just figure it out. I mean, I I don't know that my brain works like that, though. Like in a quick fire, I think I'm more methodical about how I plan out my dishes and stuff. And that's my biggest fear because I've had people reach out to me. I went through the casting process for Food Network show and kind of like you, I backed out at the last moment. Like I did a couple interviews and I'm just like, I don't know, that self-talk got to me. I'm like, this isn't the right thing. This isn't how I like to cook. It wasn't the right opportunity. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen someday. But I'm like, I found kind of my comfort zone and what I like to do. And I don't know. You know, even if you're really, really good at cooking on your feet and quick fires or you're methodical, at the end of the, it's just like an athlete. You're not 100% every day. You're not going to have a great day. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I, you know, I recently put myself in another situation because I was like, well, I did okay the first time. Like, I'm going to just try try another thing out. And I didn't do great. I did really shitty. And I was really, really hard on myself. And, you know, but again, it's like, I, I wasn't in the, the right mindset to do it. I have a lot going on. And it's just because you're good at it one day, it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it the other day. You know, it's, I think it's more about putting yourself out there and being being okay with putting yourself out there. And that's, you know, for me, of course I would go on Top Chef again because it means more to me to build my confidence as a human. You're going to fuck up for sure. (laughs) You know, I'm not that special. Like I'm never going to win a competition show literally. Oh, you might. Oh, come on. I I don't think so. (laughs) But we're also, I mean, we're also in such a weird time. I mean, we're hopefully kind of winding down with the COVID thing, but it's been a weird two years. Like I think everyone's going through the stressors of life and have this extra layer or two of things, whether it be someone, you know, got sick or passed away or you lost a job or someone, you know, lost a job or like, there's a lot going on right now and we all need to cut ourselves a break. Uh, you know, it's tough times. Yeah. I'm trying. I, again, being an introvert and, you know, I, I had a lot of stuff happen. I was on TV in the last year and a half. I did a crazy competition. I quit my stable job. I opened a business and I am so triggered (laughs) by all of these things that 
all of my tics and my quirks and whatever else in my brain is happening. Like all of those things are a hundredfold for me right now. And it's a lot to process. And you're on display. I mean, we talked Mm -hmm. before the episode a little bit about how, you know, you feel like you have to be on social media. You have to be on Instagram. You have to be creating that. That opens the box for everyone in the world to come and have an opinion about you and not just about your work, about how you look, about how how you sound, about terms you use. Like just you're on stage now for everyone to take a shot at you and from behind a door where you don't even know who that person is necessarily. And that's yeah. It is, it's super hard. And I've had, you know, I, I'm not any, you know, I'm not more special than any other female growing up in the society, you know, but everyone has body image issues and males, females, but it is different for females and being so in front of the public, you know, so public facing and on social media all the time, it's ever present to me that you know, all of the things I obsess over and I've always obsessed over, but I've kind of like keeping it inside. I can't keep it inside anymore because I'm so triggered by all these things and they're really coming out and it's been so difficult. And I wish I was, it wasn't that way, um, especially for females, but you know, it just is. (laughs) But did you come back with more confidence? Like, did you come back from the top chef experience with a renewed sense of or, or, you know, whether it's finding yourself or just feeling more confident in yourself and your abilities? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think confidence in my cooking for sure. I, I think for me, it's a crossover. Like cooking, cooking isn't just something I do. I'm a very like, I have a lot of emotions, you know, so when I'm happy, like I know people can taste that in my food. And if I'm upset, I don't like cooking because I, I feel like the food tastes bad. (laughs) So for me, it was more about fixing myself as opposed to fixing my food. So I ended a very long, not awesome relationship because I finally like spoke up and said something because I needed to think about me. And instead of feeling like, well, I'm going to like be a dick for doing this. I was like, you're not happy. You need to say something. So it was a lot of speaking up and saying, saying things, which I think, you know, bosses at work were like, where are all these emotions coming from? And it's like, because I haven't said anything and now I'm saying things. And that's another hard introverted thing where, you know, you're constantly the person who doesn't ruffle feathers and you get this confidence to finally do it. And you're smacked down all the time. People are like, you're like, you know, like you're the pushover. You're the easy one. You always say yes to everything. What's the problem now? So I think for me, it was you know, I'm, I'm continuing to speak up and I'm continuing to fail (laughs) miserably, but I, I'm just happy. I just keep, you got to keep doing it because you can't be that person unless you're that person. It was just a lot of realizing that I, I let people take advantage of me and step on me because I'm nice and it sucks. It really, really sucks. And I still am a people pleaser and I still want everyone to like me. And I still don't understand when they do. And I'm super nice to them. And, um, you know, letting, letting it go is on my list of 2022 resolutions these days. Yes, I'm with you. It's it's hard, especially the more you put yourself out there, you know, now as yeah. someone who has to, like, I have to reach out to people for business inquiries and doing deals and stuff like that. And like the rejection or just the not responses, like, oh, I go into my head really quickly, like, oh, I sent this person, like, there's this person I really want to have on the podcast, I sent them an email, like, they didn't even get back to me. Like, do they are like, why aren't they even responding? You know, like, oh, yeah, mine just goes in this like, <laughs> weird place where it's like, oh, we, you know, we all just have a lot going on. And maybe they overlooked it. Or just like the amount of time someone reaches out to me with a really nice message that I don't get back to them. You know? Yeah, I, I am also. <laughs> I'm that person. I'm like, I'll sit there and stare at a wall and overthink someone not responding to a text as opposed to getting my work done. 
Well, let's talk about tiny fish. You like, uh, (laughs) you're excited there. There you go. I, I got you going. So what's this new endeavor you have with the tiny fish co? Yeah. So I've always loved tin fish. It wasn't something that I thought like, I'm going to make tin fish. I've always wanted to make a product and I'm fascinated with like factory food, as weird as that sounds, how to make things shelf stable like looking at all the jars on the shelves and you walk by them like it's kind of cool when you think about it you, you know you take food and you can just let it sit on your counter that's overwhelming awesome. though like <laughs> yeah um I actually when I moved from San Francisco up to Portland a big factor in that was never going to trust myself and believe in myself enough to do a business in San Francisco because it's too expensive. Um, so moving to Portland was a step towards giving myself, I wanted to give myself a fair chance to succeed. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that in a bigger city because of money. I always think about money. <laughs> it's important. I mean, it's something you need to get by, right? Yeah. So I moved up to Portland and really wanted to work on it basically it was general my fish idea whatever my fish idea was uh the one thing I would always make in restaurants in the bay area we got really great fresh anchovies and I would pickle them Spanish style and make bocarones and whatever I did to them people loved and I would convert you know oily fish haters into oily fish lovers so I was really working on trying to figure out how to do the bocarones, but being me and wanting to use local stuff and anchovies really, really don't come up to Oregon much. They're more bait fish and bait fish and food grade fish are graded differently is the whole thing. So as I was kind of calling around and getting into it and finally like, cool, I made a whole, I went to like a HACCP school and I did my whole HACCP plan. Um, All of this was kind of culminating around that March, 2020 date. And it didn't seem good to me to work in a commissary kitchen at that point to produce a product. And I also, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to sink money that I've worked really hard for and saved into this if like we're all going to die in some crazy zombie apocalypse, you know, this is silly. (laughs) So uh, it was kind of the more like, I'm going to live my life situation. Um, And of course, Top Chef happened. And I really always have wanted to open a boutique cannery, as I said on the show. It's just, it seems so cool to me. (laughs) It's just so cool. And I don't know. I just made it happen. <laughs> I found a manufacturer and I didn't know anything about co-packing and manufacturing when I first thought of it. You know, I'm looking at cannery equipment and asking around in the industry to like actual canneries and figuring out infrastructure stuff, how much money it's going to cost. And it is incredibly overwhelming. And then I got a random email from someone who was like, Hey, you know, we'd like to maybe partner on you with some more chef inspired recipes for our tinned fish. And I went to go visit them up in Washington and was explaining what I wanted to do. And they were like, well, we know we wanted to hire you, but maybe we could actually help you out and you can start doing products. And it just all happened really fast. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. I um I stocked up on sardines for the zombie apocalypse. I remember, I mean, I've always liked sardines. No one else in my house likes them, but I just remember going to Costco when they said like, go shopping this week because we're shutting everything down for yeah. you know two weeks or the foreseeable future. Like I had no idea and there was like no food on the shelves. I'm like, well, I like these. So I bought like way too many sardines uh, that then I had to figure out what to do with. What What are some of your tips for like, I know there's a lot of really great high-end canned fish out there these mm-hmm. days, but like if someone just went to their grocery store and just bought like a can of sardines, like what are some of your favorite quick, easy dishes to do with them? I like to go super crazy with it, of course. <laughs> Basically, if it's completely basic, <laughs> I don't like doing it, of course. I got to make my life to fold on myself somehow. <laughs> sardines on toast, of course, is delicious. Sardines and pasta is, of course, delicious. 
I think canned fish is great in okonomiyaki, cabbage pancakes, uh, super delicious. I'll toss that in there. Um, any sort of like kimchi pancake, also super tasty. I've never done that with those. I'll have to add yeah, those. I'll have to add I those actually, to my list because those are dishes I love, but I'm usually like pork belly or bacon in there. Right. So go with the yeah. sardines. I huh? mean, if you think about it, like smoked oysters, yeah, yeah. smoked mussels, they That's kind of smoky. have that same same flavor. So I do that. Obviously, like grilled cheeses. People are weird about cheese and fish, but I think it goes really well together, especially canned fish. Um, I think fish is great is, uh, to help like soup bases get a little bit more body. Obviously rice bowls are pretty incredible. <laughs> I think today I'm, I'm about to make a video on doing a Thai style omelet. So using, I I'm going to finally, I got my packaging is like on its way to me today. So I'm going to be realistic, releasing rockfish and soy sauce, hopefully by the end of the week. Nice. Um, I saw on your website coming soon. Yeah. Not soon enough. <laughs> I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> um, so I'm working on recipes for that. Um, but like Thai style omelets, putting it in any fish and egg is delicious. I love Spanish tortillas, so I'll pop it in Spanish tortillas. I think sardines, especially, I will make that into salad dressing. Super easy. I think it's a yeah. tough sell to most people, though. Like when I put that mm-hmm. stuff on menus, people don't want to order that. I feel like if I put it into like a chef's course, they'll eat it. But if I put that on a menu, they kind of shy away from that. You got to hide it. That's how I try to trick people into eating certain things. <laughs> then when they eat it, I'm like, ha, got you. you I like do that it. with organ meat. I'm a big fan of cooking offal. And it's like, yeah. nobody's going to uh, order that. You know, it's like I do like, a tongue sour broughten and people are like, oh, like I'm, yeah, I mean, it just made sense to me. It's like a tough piece of meat and it's like, oh, marinating it in vinegar and wine for three Absolutely. days. That's a, that's a fix right there. Right. But it's not the first thing that sells on my menu. Yeah. I've done like, like corned beef tongue. Yeah. One, one thing that I love doing because it just made sense to me and people didn't necessarily know what it was. <laughs> You're also the yogurt queen, right? Like, I think you're the spokesperson oh, yeah. for yogurt. Is that I, right? Like, <laughs> you haven't eaten, did you, did you no. get that? any like brand deals or? No, no shockingly, really? no, it's okay. You got to keep just I, working I, that. It's not for not trying. Like I had a PR company. <laughs> everything. Um, no, definitely no yogurt deal. I just don't think okay. yogurt companies are good. Like I work with yogurt a lot and I'm always like tagging them on Instagram and like they don't even necessarily like my posts. It's like, how do you not love that? This is amazing. Like I'm making Lebno, I'm making Lebno with your yogurt and then I do this like super creative dish and like you're just selling like plain yogurt. You could sell way more yogurt if you had someone working with you doing cool things, but <laughs> We're not there yet. I want to get them as like, you know, find the right one to be a, a sponsor for my podcast, but I don't think yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of doing this. It's the same regardless of whatever people with marketing brains and marketing backgrounds have a specific marketing story they want to tell. And if you're not part of that story, it doesn't matter how much you tag up or how much you're called the, you know, yogurt queen. It just doesn't matter. You kind of have to fit fit the image of whatever they're trying to promote right now <laughs> yogurt with fruit and granola and yeah i mean it's it's all image these days it's all videos everyone's in front of the camera so you know again it just makes it it makes it a little bit hard because it's not it's not just about the food it's about the person behind the food now um and i think that's a that's a big big thing these days especially with cooking that it it literally isn't just about the food it's about the story the chef the story of the chef and it makes it difficult. <laughs> the cool part about my products too, is that I really, I put a lot of emphasis on me as a chef and how I operate in a restaurant and try to put that into my products. So first thing you see is the packaging. And if you know, working with me, I like to crack jokes you know so there's a joke on my package no, there's some great yeah. packaging it's fun and funny like looking on the website and like having merch and stuff like that it's very it shows your personality right and I guess how do you stand out I mean there's so many products on the market I think you need something and for for good or for bad so much of it comes down to marketing like I think of beer like you go in the beer store and it's like looking at all the 
can artwork these days and the label artwork. It's like, how do I pick out an IPA? You're like, oh, that one has like Star Wars on the can. Cool. I'm going to buy that. (laughs) And I don't even know if it's better or even good, but it's like, it, you know, it jumps out. Yeah. It it just, it is how it is. I, I really wanted to make my personality a part of the entire product. So, you know, you've got the packaging, which is great and beautiful. And I love my designers who did it because they somehow got whatever was just swirling around in my brain onto a box. And, um, you know, and then as far as the fish goes, I really want to focus on being super local in the Pacific Northwest and making sure that sourcing local sustainable food is still a part of the actual company. So, you know, a lot of tin fish comes from abroad. A lot of domestic tin fish brands source fish from abroad. And that is fine. And that's their business and, you know, whatever. But I think there is a gap in the market with finding how to, how to market fish domestically produced beautifully as well. You know, just, just because I don't have a marketing background, just because I'm a chef doesn't mean I'm stupid and don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And it has like that chef feeling, you know, chefs like to source locally and, you know, like a good craft product and stuff. So I think that'll come through. Thank you for the time. This, uh, yeah, I really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, this has been great. I hope you had a good time. I did. I did. I did. One, I mean, I think being on Top Chef 2, along with, you know, Confidence Booster and what I, it's uh, being able to share some of my struggles that I have, not only as a chef, just as a normal functioning human, um, has been really um, helpful to me too, as someone who's always been so quiet about certain things to be able to finally speak up, you realize you're not so alone in the world. So for all the introverted weirdos, we don't want to just talk about the good stuff. This isn't a just come on and pump yourself. It's like, let's dig in and talk about the hard stuff on this show too. And you know, because life is hard. And I think a lot of people, especially on social media, there's a lot of fronting and you show the world what you want them to see or what you think they want to see. And things aren't always that easy. So if you can Mm -mm. be open Mm -mm. enough to come on (laughs) and talk about that, that is fantastic. Yeah. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, uh, thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.